We've been studying about various idols in our lives, and so this morning we're talking about the idol of approval, and Pastor Scott thought I'd be the perfect one to talk about that. And I got to thinking about that. Why would he ask me to do that? But to be honest with you, I'm a recovering people pleaser, and maybe some of you are this morning, and so the things that I share will be very personal and obviously very applicable and relevant in my own life. You know, I want to start with a quote this morning because it struck me this week as I was having my quiet time, and it's written by Oswald Chambers. Some of you know him probably pretty well, but he says this, and I want you to to just take some time and really think about this for a minute. I want you to just kind of let this soak in. My worth to God publicly is measured by what I am in my private life. Is my primary goal in life to please Him and to be acceptable to Him, or is it something else? And get this, no matter how lofty it may sound. We live in a culture and a world where we're always looking for men's approval. Just go on Facebook and see all the likes. I mean, social media has really amped up a lot of what we need in our lives in terms of approval. You see, all of us were born with three basic intrinsic emotional needs. One is to be loved, two is to be listened to, and three, to be understood. And because of those innate qualities in all of us, we all have that desire to feel significant. And a lot of our significance obviously comes from human beings. But in reality, God wants us to find our real significance in Him. Amen? That's where we need to find our significance because we can't always depend on people. So how do we overcome this? Well, first of all, I think it's really important that we understand that a lot of our approval needs have come from our family of origin. Some of you grew up in a family where your parents were not terribly encouraging to you. Maybe your parents were actually even, one of them had been uh, left you and abandoned you in a divorce situation. Or you lived in a home where it's so performance-driven that you can never please. And so consequently, you're still, as a grown human being, still trying to find the approval of your father or your mother, and you're still trying to get that from other people, and it's not working very well for you. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. First of all, I want to make sure that you identify yourself, perhaps, as somebody who has the idol of approval. And so I'm going to give you 10 different questions, and you're going to look on your, your, your notes this morning, and you're going to see an opportunity for you to kind of do a, a self-evaluation this morning before I teach you how to overcome the approval of men. So let me ask you these questions, and alongside, you can kind of put a little mark in your, your, your sheet, or you can at least do an internal evaluation, because remember, it's your private life that God's concerned about. So I'd like for you to go through these, and I'm going to explain them one by one, and maybe you could begin to have an opportunity for you to take a good, honest look at your own heart to see if perhaps you've been living on the side of human approval rather than God's approval. So here's the first one. And I want to remind you too, I, this is stuff I struggle with because I, I'm the, I was the middle child, okay? And I lived in a home where I knew I was loved, but I never, never felt like I was listened to or understood. And so I've really dealt with a lot of these issues, so I want to make that as a prerequisite. So let's start. Number one is this. Are you ever afraid of rejection? Are you ever afraid of rejection? Are you fearful in your life that if you were to do something 
that might be offensive to somebody else that they may reject you? Do you have that fear? Is that an always problem? Is that a never problem? Are you ever afraid of rejection? Be honest with yourself and honest with God this morning. Secondly, are you ever afraid of failure? You're so worried about disappointing people, so you always try to put your best foot forward so that you're making always a good impression, but you're always scared to maybe jump out ahead or take some risks because you have such an incredible fear of failure, and if you do, that people are going to be disappointed with you. Is that an always, sometimes, never? Where are you at with that? Here's the third one. Are you a highly relational person? I'm a highly relational person. I really love to be with people. And because you are highly relational, people's opinions and values are really important to you, right? So if you're a highly relational person, not maybe a task-driven person, you probably have a greater tendency to look for people's approval in your life. The fourth one is this. Are you super compassionate? What I mean by that is, you know, if you... Just like the other day, I have a, a little bit of compassion. I ran over a squirrel. And I looked back and I saw that squirrel struggling on the pavement and I felt really bad, you know? Are you that way? You know, you just have that, that, that heart for the, for the underdog, the heart for the squirrel. <laughs> I mean, are you one of those people that have that mercy gift, you know, where you, you just have this tenderness towards people and so consequently you want to fix them and you want to encourage them and so you're hoping that they'll respond to your love and compassion here's one are you a perfectionist oh oh did i hit somebody you know a lot of the reasons why we're perfectionists is because we maybe grew up in a performance-based system in our family life and because of that we want to make sure everything all our our eyes are dotted and our t's are crossed and consequently we become almost legalistic and we're we're really concerned about what other people think so we try to rise our standards to a higher and higher level that even we can't meet we find ourselves just looking for people's approval because of our performance do you neglect yourself that's number 6 Do you find that you're so busy trying to minister to everybody else and take care of everybody else's needs so everybody will know that you care about them and what's going on in your life is that you're not taking care of yourself physically, emotionally, or spiritually, and so you become the last person on the planet to really take care of yourself. And I'm not talking about being selfish, I'm talking about self-interest. That you're so busy worried about everybody else, you're neglecting your own needs. Number seven. Do others maybe say, or do you ever feel a little passive-aggressive and get resentful? Have you ever been there? Where you have worked your tail off to try to prove yourself to somebody, and they just don't get it? I was with a group of ladies this past week at a retreat. I've never spoken at a women's retreat before. It is a unique experience. (laughs) You know, we were... I was in the middle of my devotional and, and all these gals are surrounded and, and one lady saw a deer out the window and they said, deer! And they all ran to the window. I'm in the middle of my devotions, you know. <laughs> but all these ladies who are there at this retreat have husbands who have PTSD. And so I was trying to encourage them and to 
reach out to them. And I know that one of the ladies that was there was feeling very resentful towards her husband because she's trying so hard to please, trying so hard to get him to be vulnerable, trying so hard, but she's become almost angry and resentful and depressed because she's working so hard for her husband's approval. Here's number eight. Do you have a tendency to maybe flatter other people to get their approval? You kind of have a, a way about yourself where you try to tell other people what you think they want to hear because there's this hidden agenda perhaps in your life. Uh, there's this, this, this uh, feeling that, you know, if I smooge a little bit, I'm going to get some good feedback. You find yourself there at all? Number nine. Do you get stressed out sometimes and worried about what people think of you? I mean, do you lay in bed at night and say, oh, gosh, I wonder what my husband thinks, or I wonder what my wife thinks, or I wonder what my kids think, I wonder what my boss thinks, I wonder, and you're constantly sitting there mulling over in your mind over and over and over again, what, what did they think? What did they think of me? What does my neighbor think? And we just kind of get bound up in what other people think, so we get stressed out about it. And here's number 10. Do you ever feel like a doormat? Do you ever feel like a doormat? Do you ever feel like you're really used? You know, it's fascinating when you look at these things and, you, and if you have a lot of these issues in your life, chances are you're a very, what psychologists call codependent. And you know what codependence is. That, that's where you are so taken advantage of that you are so governed in your own emotional well-being by what other people think that you can't even think for yourself anymore. You're being so used. Well, as I thought about all these things, and I don't know where you're at this morning, but there are some there that has been a struggle in my own life, and I trust that probably some of these are struggles in your life as well. And I think probably one of the greatest subtle idols in our lives can be people's approval. And I, I'm sure that every one of us sitting here this morning, if you're really honest about it, there are times where you have put people's approval above God's approval. So nobody's really escaping this morning, I don't think. So let's go to the scriptures and see what God says about how to overcome people's approval. I want you to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Now, I want to set this up a little bit because the apostle Paul was constantly being barraged and backlashed by people's criticisms. And it was really hard for him. I mean, he had spent time in prison. He was, he was shipwrecked. He was beaten. This guy knew how to live with God's approval and not people's approval. If he'd only lived by people's approval, he would have been a mess. So he makes a declaration in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and he says this. He says, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those what? Approved by God. You know what approved means? Tested in battle. Approved by God to be entrusted with you the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. 
We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Powerful, powerful testimony of Paul saying, I am seeking only God's approval, not men's. Let me give you the big idea this morning. The big idea is this. Conviction is the key to living a life approved by God, not by men. Now, in order to really understand that, we need to define what conviction really is. And this morning, I want to define that for you because I think this is really, really critical for us to understand. Conviction is this. Conviction is a firmly held belief upon which you and God have resolved. This is really important for us to understand. What this is saying is, this is not a bias. A conviction is not a bias or a prejudice. This is just not a strong opinion. See, we're, we're constantly bombarded with other people's opinions in our culture today. And we maybe have biases and opinions and strong beliefs, but until we take those opinions and beliefs and go vertical, they're not convictions. So what's going on here is when conviction comes our way, it's a firmly held belief upon which what? You and God have resolved. It's between you and God, not anybody else. And when you get God's thoughts on the matter, it becomes gives greater resolve in our lives and we're able to set boundaries. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 14, verse 5. He says, Paul says, each one should be what? Fully convinced in his own mind. Fully convinced in whose mind? In his own mind. How many of us have grown up with all kinds of different ideas and biases and prejudices from your origin of family or pastors or, or people that have told you that this is what you need to believe and this is how you need to live your life and you've never really owned that yourself. And what conviction does, conviction says, look, it's between me and God and nobody else is involved here right now because God, I want your mind on this issue and when I get your mind on this issue, I'm not bending. And we've got a culture in our society today where Christians day in and day out know what's in the Word of God, but because they don't have a conviction, they continue to cross the line. And so we have a whole slug of cultural Christians in our culture today. People who are, are more prone to be influenced by what other people are doing rather than what God's telling them. And it's about time we get back to the absolute truth of the Scripture. Paul also says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, this was a key verse, we speak as men what? approved by God. And when you look at that word approval and you say tested in battle, I love that. Because when you're tested in battle, you have great resolve. You're there because you want to win. And when you get to a conviction and you get approved by God, you've been battling with an issue in your life and God makes it very clear to you how you're supposed to respond to that. And then you become obedient. Why? Because you've had that battle with God and you're going to come out and you're going to be a strong warrior for Christ. So how does this conviction overcome the idol of human approval? How do we overcome the idol of human approval? This is where the rubber meets the road. Verse 2 says this. 
We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong, uh, strong opposition. People of conviction, number one, are more courageous. People of conviction are more courageous. There are a lot of spiritual cowards running around in our culture today. There are some of you that are spiritual cowards. You know that I hang out with cops. That's what I do. I'm a chaplain for YCSO. And I meet Christian cops day in and day out. But I got to tell you, some of them are spiritual cowards. They may be courageous on the street, but spiritually they're cowards because they're still living under people's approval. Paul says this, I dared to tell the gospel in spite of strong opposition. He had such great conviction about what the gospel did in his own life, nothing was going to stand in the way of that message that he was about to say. In verse 4, he says, On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. He said, I am here to courageously tell you the truth, and if you don't like it, it's okay. It's not about you. It's about what God's called me to do. Secondly, people of conviction speak the truth in love. Paul said in verse 2, we dared to tell you what? The gospel. What is the gospel? It's the truth. He said, we dared to tell the gospel. Verse 5, you know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover. God is our witness. He said, I don't have a hidden agenda with you guys. I don't have hidden motives. We didn't put on a mask to cover up how we really feel. We spoke straight to you, authentically to you, reality to you. We spoke the truth when we did it in love. See, when you have conviction, you're not afraid to speak the truth. I know there are many times in my life where God backed me into a corner. I don't know about you, but I knew that I had struggles with people-pleasing. I have a shepherd's heart. I love people. I've been a pastor for over 40 years. And I want everybody in the congregation to like me. But God knew that there was a weakness in my life. And because I wanted to be a God-pleaser, not a people-pleaser, God, different times in my life, put me in situations that backed me in the corner and said, Tom, you better put up or shut up. And I remember one incident early in my ministry where I had an elder that was really a very pugnacious kind of guy. He was about six foot six, had a huge temper, should have never been an elder. It was my own fault. He'd get on the basketball court and literally get into fist fights and cuss and swear at guys. I remember he was teaching Sunday school with our fifth graders and he was swearing at the, Sunday, at the kids. He was an interesting guy. <laughs> one morning, we had breakfast together. And I was trying to talk to him and confront him a little bit. And he was a big dude. And he got up across the table, literally stood up in the booth across to me, and he got his finger almost up my nose. I mean, he could almost pick my nose, really. <laughs> and he looked me in the eye and he said, Pastor, you have a deceitful heart and you need to quit this job. And I thought, wait a minute, time out here. Am I going to sit there and listen to that? And I looked him in the eye and I said, you know what, sir? I won't give you his name. <laughs> I said, 
I'm staying in this church because God called me here. And if you can't support me and you can't love me and you can't, then you need to leave. He left. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Another time in my life, just before I resigned from my church, about a couple of years later, I had an executive pastor who was undermining my ministry, my leadership. He was undermining, he was hurting the staff. And I remember wrestling with it for three years. Three years. I wanted so bad for him to understand and get it and to be more uh, understanding and compassionate working with people. And I kept trying over and over and over again, you know, codependent stuff. Enabling him, trying to get him to see more, be more compassionate, so on and so forth. Well, one day he came into my office and he was ragging on all the other staff. And I said, he said, you know, I'm at a point where nobody can tell me that I can't do something. And I looked at him and I said, nobody? He said, you bet. Nobody's going to tell me that I can't do something. I said, well, I got to tell you. I said, uh, it's not working and I need to let you go. And he looked me in the eye and he said, I'm not ready to go. And I finally said, yeah, you are. <laughs> he said, are you telling me that I'm fired? And I said, yeah, you're fired. I knew that I was going to get such backlash from that, and I did. He threw me under the bus. But you know what? I had had a time with the Lord a few, few days earlier, and I said, God, what do I do with this guy? I need to know and have clarity on what you want me to do. And God spoke to me so clearly, and he said, Tom, it's time. You need to step up, and you need to let this guy go. And I said, yeah, but, but I'm going to be the one thrown under the bus because I'm, I'm not going to throw him under the bus, and I'm going to be the sacrificial lamb. And he said, guess what? So was I. Because God spoke to me, and I was tested in battle, and I listened to what God had to say. It was the best thing and the right thing to do, as hard as it was for me, because I wanted this guy to like me. I wanted this guy to love me. I wanted this guy to change, but he didn't. And there are times in our lives where people need to push us, God needs to push us into the corner to get us to stand up and finally say, am I going to put up or shut up? And that's why the church under martyrdom is doing much better than the church in the U.S. Because we're backed into a corner. Here's the third thought. People of conviction make themselves more vulnerable. You say, what? You know, I just got done doing this retreat with these nine ladies whose husbands have PTSD. And in the military culture and in the law enforcement culture, vulnerability is a dirty word. You're told not to be vulnerable. Always be on your guard. Never let your guard down. Never share what's going on in your heart. But I'm here to share with you this morning that vulnerability can be a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. See, here's what Paul says in verse 7. He says, we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her own children. Can you see anything more vulnerable than a mom caring for her kids? The tenderness of that, the, the compassion that's there, the softness that's there. That's what God's really saying. He said, listen, he goes on to say in verse 8, this I love, we loved you so much that we're delighted to share with you what? Our lives. 
We exposed what we were feeling, what was going on. And you read some of Paul's letters and you see him really opening up his heart and exposing all kinds of issues that are going on in his life, his frustrations, his weakness, his, his, his shortcomings. But you know as well as I do, when you share and you're vulnerable in the right system and the right, with the right person, I mean, wise, when your husband's become somewhat vulnerable, does that make you think that he's weaker? Not really. And what I think Paul is saying, listen, I have such great conviction. I'm willing to bear my own soul before people because I believe so much in being authentic. People of conviction make themselves more vulnerable. And Paul was saying, look, I'm not here to please men. I'm here to please God. And it would be God-pleasing for me to expose my heart right now because people need to hear that I have weaknesses just like everybody else. And it takes conviction to do that. I shared with the ladies this last week at this retreat, and I said to the gals, I said, you know, someday when your husband really becomes vulnerable to you, that's when you know that he's really begun to heal. And they kind of looked at me and said, yeah, that's, that's, that could be right. Here's the fourth one. Conviction makes us less dependent on people and more reliant upon God. This is what Paul writes. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order what? Not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel to you. He's saying, look, we have really tried hard to not be dependent upon you. It's not that we, he doesn't appreciate their help and their concern, but what Paul was trying to say, look, my dependency is on God. He said, look, I want God to be the provider of my life, but I also want to work hard and have a, uh, have be bivocational because I don't want to be a burden on you. And you notice that people who are insecure, people who are people pleasers, they're often the VDPs of your life, you know? They're, they're the very dependent people, the people that aren't depending on God, they're depending on you for all of their sustenance and encouragement, and you give it all, and they don't do it anyways, right? And what Paul's just kind of saying, look, you know, I, I'm so dependent upon God that, that I, I want to make sure that you understand that I'm not in this to get your dependence, I want God's dependence. I want to be dependent upon Him. You see, insecure people are often the needy people. These are the people that, that def, desperately need to, to, to have a relationship and thus become, what I said earlier, codependent. So what steps should we take? What steps should we take? Here's what I would challenge you to think about. As they bring this to a close, number one is this. I would encourage you to develop a better understanding of your identity in Christ. Now, what does that mean? I've been on a journey all my life to discover what my identity is in Christ. And I'm getting there little by little. And someday I'm going to get it when I get face to face with him. But right now I'm still working on that journey. Because if I get my identity on um, people's approval, I'm, in, I'm a mess. 
But if I get my identity and understand that this was the person that actually died for me, he sacrificed his life for me, he loved me so much that he gave himself for me, that unconditional love is always there for me and I can always count on it, not like people, now I begin to understand. There's some great scriptures that you need to read in Psalms 139. In Ephesians 2.10, he says in Ephesians 2.10, you are his workmanship, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. In Psalm 139, he says, I wove you in my mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do we get that? And until we get that, we're going to always be seeking men's approval and we're always going to be disappointed, but we can always count on Jesus. Amen? I'm a little wound up this morning, okay? There's a great book. I've given this out to many people over the years of ministry. It's been around forever. It's called The Search for Significance. It has been life transforming. If you're struggling with your identity, I would suggest you read that book. It would really be an encouragement to you. So develop a better understanding of your identity in Christ. Here's step two. Discern an area of your life where conviction is needed. It took me three years to discern that I needed to draw a line in the sand with my executive pastor. Three years. But when I finally got down on my knees before the Lord, God, what do you want me to do? I had a conviction and I went and I did what God called me to do. There are some some of you this morning who have been in a compromised situation for a long time some behavior, some habit, some relationship, whatever, and and you have been wrestling with it for a long time, but you've never really taken the time to get in God's word and to sit down between you and God, and when you're tested in that environment where God has clearly spoken to you, you've never come out with a strong conviction. Oh yeah, you got biases, you got prejudices, you're trying to live out everybody's else expectations. Well, why not sit down and say, God, I want to get this resolved. You and me, we're going to get this thing squared away. And when I come out of there, I'm going to have great resolve and I'm going to draw a line in the sand. This is where I'm standing. So discern an area of your life where conviction is needed and go for it. Here's the third step. Identify a person you could be vulnerable with and share. What? Yeah, why not? Maybe you've been... been Hiding some feelings, some hurts, some wounds, some some weaknesses. And it's high time that God might be saying to you, you know what? I've I've not wanted to share that. I've not wanted to open up with that for fear that people are going to think less of me. When in reality, maybe when you start sharing your weakness, you might find out somebody else has got the same one. And they just respect you for opening up and being honest about who you are. And lastly, and most importantly... There needs to be a conviction in our hearts to be a God-pleaser. You see, where I started this morning was that we have a tendency to allow society and culture and social media and everything else to kind of dictate to us how we're supposed to react and live. And unfortunately, as Christians, we have allowed that to kind of create our own system of beliefs rather than the scriptures and that what God is really saying. And so I think there's, there needs to be a conviction, bottom line, to say, no, bottom line, God, I really want to be a God pleaser. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians. My worth to God publicly is measured, oops, 1 Corinthians. 
I'll get, I'll get back to that in a minute. I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. I love that. Paul says, look, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. That's what I want you to wrestle with this morning. Is your conscience clear? It may be, but who's the one judging us? It's the Lord. That's what really matters. And so I go back to what I shared when we started this morning. Now I can put that up. My worth to God publicly is measured by what I am in my private life. This morning, I don't know what's in your private life, but God does. And this morning, I'm going to challenge you to something because who am I in my private life? And he says, is my primary goal in life to please him or to be accepted by him or is it something else? That's what we need to wrestle with this morning. That's what I, we need to wrestle with day in and day out. That's what I wrestle with. How about you? I'm going to ask you to do something hard this morning. Because I believe that God is speaking to a lot of us this morning. And for some of you this morning, you need to make a decision in your life. Am I going to be a God pleaser or not? I have struggled hard with this in my life, and, and I know that in my heart of hearts, I want to be desperately a God pleaser. I said that again this morning in my quiet time. I said, God, I just want to please you. I don't want to stand up there this morning and just try to please everybody and make them everybody like me because I'm this good speaker or I've shared this powerful message. That's not what it's about. I want to be just pleasing to you this morning, God, as I share. If that's, you've been compromising that in your life, it's time to stand up and come up here and kneel before God and say, God, I'm putting a stake in the ground this morning. I want to be a God pleaser. Or some of you this morning have been, been rationalizing to death some of your behavior and God's saying, look, I've made it clear in scripture that what you're doing is not right and it's time for you to establish a new conviction about that. You need to come down here and say, God, I, I need to look at this and it's you and me today. I think one of the biggest idols in the Christian community today is the idol of man's approval, Amen. And it's time that we get back to his word and what God's telling us and to draw those lines and boundaries in our life and start being salt and light in this screwed up world that we live in. And I'm passionate about that, obviously, and so let's pray, okay? God, I, I come before you today because you've been preparing my heart for this message for, for weeks. God, I so desperately want to be a God pleaser. In my heart of hearts, Lord, I know there, there's days where I'm so bound up sometimes of what people think. And Lord, I know you've told us to be at peace with all men if possible. And I know that there's those scriptures and I know that you've created these needs in our lives to be listened to and to be loved and understood. But oh God, help us to start with you because you never let us down. You're always there to love us. You're always there for us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. And even when we screw up, you still love us, God. Forgive us, Lord, for those days where we compromise what you really want us to do. 
And I pray for these people this morning, God, that you would do a work in their lives like never before. And so, God, I challenge these folks that they would get up out of their seats this morning and put a stake in the ground in their lives and say, God, I really desperately want to do that. And maybe I've been compromising and there's convictions that I need to make. God, I need to be more vulnerable. I don't know what's going on in people's lives, but God, I pray that they wouldn't leave here today without really, really understanding how powerful you are and how you want to run their lives. And we need your approval. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.